I was generally okay at um, tennis, gave rugby a fair go, although my career reached the dazzling heights of the B team in year nine, and then I was um, relegated to the C's for the rest of my school career. It wasn't glittering, a glittering success, that's for sure. My school was one of those schools in which the captain of the first 15 was destined to be head boy, where sporting prowess was highly lauded at every prize giving and dominated all of those occasions. So I knew all along that I was never going to be one of those boys who was picked to wear our famous royal blue honors blazer um, because there was just no hope of me being excellent in any of those teams. But this passage this morning talks about a team which is infinitely better than the first 15 at my school. There were many teams that were much better than them, I should say. But this team is infinitely better than any team we could possibly be a part of. God has chosen us, if we are Christians this morning, to be in his team with the teammates that we are sitting amongst here. We are partners We are team members. And in this passage this morning, we see that we are partners in prayer, in evangelism, and in relationship. Uh, So we're going to look at each of those three things. So firstly, we are partners in prayer. In this letter, Paul is writing to a church that he is really excited about. It's not a church that he's been to. He He just knows about them. It was planted by a friend of his. And he's excited about what is going on there, about how the gospel is taking hold of them and growing them. But Paul knew that there was a threat to this church. As these false teachers crept in teaching that, yes, this love of Jesus and this forgiveness that came through Jesus, well, that was all great, but you see, you've not done enough, they would say. You need more, you need experiences. Well, if you're not having these experiences, you couldn't possibly be in the team yet. Or you need to adopt this philosophy or this tradition or this type of discipline are the sort of things they might say. Whatever it was that the individuals might say as they crept into this church, it was a threat to the truth of the gospel and Paul knew that it was coming to them. But Paul is writing to them here to say, keep going. Stick to what you heard in the beginning. Keep going just as you began. Stick with King Jesus. He is how you come to God and he is how you grow as a Christian. And he says here, so devote yourself steadfastly to prayer. Steadfastly give yourself to prayer as you stand firm against the false teachers, the false philosophies, the false teaching that will come and try to lure you away from King Jesus. And exactly the same is true for us. As all around us, we have ideas that are shared with us that try to lure us away from the truth that we find in God's Word. As we strive to live out our life with Jesus, we need to depend on him and speak to him in prayer. He tells us in verse 2 that we are partners in prayer. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. I'm not sure about you, but whenever, whenever I read a phrase like that in one of the epistles, I think to myself, well, that's just, that's just Paul speak. How could we possibly do that? 
Can I really be devoted steadfastly to prayer when there are so many important things that are vying for my time, whether it's family, work, church, good and important things? Time is so precious to many of us, and things are hard to fit in as it is. Can we really pray in a way that we could describe as steadfast, steadfast devotion? You may have met someone um, in your life that you would describe as devoted to prayer. Devoted in a very special way. The church that I went to growing up in Northern Ireland, it had a group of men and women, um, and I would describe them as prayer warriors. I can remember as a teenager when I, I made the decision to come along to the prayer meeting before the morning service, and I can remember talking with this group and there were men and women, and they, are, they were men and women, sorry, who had reached their latter years of life. For most of them at the time, their physical health was declining, and well, they weren't able to serve the church in the way that perhaps they once had. In fact, for some of them, getting there on a Sunday was quite a struggle most weeks. But yet, they devoted themselves to prayer. Whether it was praying for the youth work of our church or praying for individuals who they had got to know. I remember one woman who um, many years ago returned home to the Lord and her name was Sadie. And while Sadie could still make it to church as much as she could, she would bring a little diary with her along with her Bible and a pen. And when she got talking to people, her her health was such that she got brought in and put in a chair and, and she stayed there until somebody came to take her home. But each week people would come and speak to her, different people before and after the service. And she would make little notes of the things that they told her in her diary, meetings at work, maybe um, things that they were anxious about that week and they would jot down the day they were taking place. And that week, she would pray purposely throughout the day at home for these people. It was her ministry to our church. Sadie, and I'm sure many other stories that we could share together this morning, they are people who you could describe as prayer warriors. Her and the group in my church prayed fervently for me as I grew up in our church and for our wider church. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I see the effect of their passing. But what about us? The stage of life that I am at would make it difficult to devote time like Siri did to prayer. And I hope that in our church we will see these prayer warriors raise up as a group. But how can we devote ourselves steadfastly to prayer? Well, I think it is about setting our lives to a pattern of prayer. We need to set each day out in a pattern of prayer, making it a priority. Perhaps as the first thing we do in the morning, spending time in God's word and praying before we set off into the busyness of the day. Perhaps setting visual reminders using the password, say, for your computer at work, 
an alarm on your watch or phone that will prompt you to pray at specific times in the day as you are able. Maybe set the habit of praying every single time you step onto your bike or every time you collect a trolley or a basket in the supermarket. Use these triggers as a way to set your life to a pattern of prayer, devoting yourself to it. Paul says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Or as another translation puts it, keep, keep awake. I know for me over the years, that has been literally true. Keep awake as you pray. How often can I see myself drifting off as I pray at night, in bed, or drifting off into a daydream, daydream all too easily? I don't imagine that I'm the only one at the prayer meeting who finds themselves thinking, well, I can't pray now because I can't remember what the person before me has prayed for. How can we try and keep focus? Maybe keep a little diary like Siri did. Jot down a few things that you will pray for each day, even if they're general. On a Monday, it'll be family and work colleagues. Tuesday, it'll be my neighbors. Whatever way helps you. Or pray through the Lord's Prayer line by line, adding your own specific things in as you get to each stage. Continue steadfastly in prayer, Paul says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Be thankful. And the more that we are praying, the more that we look for answers to prayer, the more that we recognize God's work in our lives, the the more thankful we can be. I have no doubt that those prayer warriors that were part of my church at home, I have no doubt that those prayer warriors were spurred on in prayer because each week, week by week, they saw, and each day, sorry, they saw and thanked God for the answers that he was providing. Paul goes on in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. You see, the Christians in this church, like us, did not have Paul's calling to be an apostle. And yet he calls them here to be partners with him in his incredible mission. And that's so true for us with our partners as well. We are partners with Ken and with Ben and with Chris. We are partners with all of the leaders of KidZone. We are partners with the leaders of FryUp. Partners with Joe and Sarah Potter in Mozambique or John and Lisa Short in Madrid. We are partners of Christchurch Midrand and Nocopila School and we can live that out as we pray for them regularly. As we find out what is going on for each of those people, what is burdening them, what is worrying them, and taking it in prayer. Remember here that Paul is writing this letter in jail, and yet he doesn't say, pray too for our release, that the open door of my cell will let me go. No, his priority is for an open door for the gospel. We can pray for the unimaginable, because God is at work. And our God is all about revival. So we should partner with one another in prayer. 
So secondly then, we are partners in evangelism. That's verses five and six. The Colossians here, they share in Paul's great mission through prayer, but they're also to do this mission in their lives as well. Paul says in verse five, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Be wise, Paul says. That's how he begins. Because, well, let's face it, it's not easy all the time to relate to the world around us. Paul's talking here about the reality that actually the world around us is heading in one direction. And when we've become a follower of Jesus, his spirit comes into us and transforms us and takes us in another direction. And so Paul says we need to be wise. Because as we sit in work or talk with friends and find that the humor goes in a direction that we feel we shouldn't laugh at, but yet we don't want to seem like we're, we're pulling ourselves away from friends. Paul says here, be wise. Because you see, we could fall into two, two potential pitfalls here. We could run the risk of, first of all, withdrawing altogether, pulling ourselves away from all those things which we find difficult or awkward, the things that we just don't know how to deal with, and closing ourselves off into the church and dealing only with people of like mind. You see, that's not what the Bible, that's not how the Bible tells us to live. We're to live our lives by this mission. We're supposed to be lights to the world And so some of us, well, some of us maybe need to readjust how we spend our time. I look back at my four years at university and know that in many ways I wasted the first two because whilst I was doing good things with our CU, I closed myself off too quickly and lost opportunities to witness to those around me. We might need to readjust how we spend some of our time. The other danger is not withdrawing, but it's compromising. Because there is pressure on us in work or with friends to just drift along with them, to accept, to accept the things that the world promotes as it pushes in the other direction to Jesus. Paul says, be wise. Unfortunately, he doesn't tell us what we can laugh at and what we shouldn't. He doesn't tell us when we can speak and when we should just stay quiet, when actions are enough and when we need to say something. So as we think about living wisely in the office or at the office party, on the pitch or on the court or visiting family who don't know Jesus, how can we possibly know Paul hasn't been prescriptive? But we're partners in this evangelism. So let's, let's do it together. Let's talk to one another. If you're part of a midweek group, what a great place to seek advice, to seek wisdom in how to witness in your workplace, in your circumstance. If you're not a part of a midweek group, maybe it's the time to think about joining. We're about to kick off the year And it would be perfect, a perfect time to get into a group. If that is you, you could easily speak to Ben this morning 
um, and talk about that. But let's do this together. We can be partners in evangelism and share this mission together as we spur one another on and encourage one another and train each other and help one another. And dare I say, pull one another up when we do get it wrong. So do we withdraw or do we compromise? That's something for more reflection, I'm sure. But Paul says, let's be wise and make the most of every opportunity. Dick Lucas, uh, who was uh, the vicar of a church in London, in his commentary on Colossians, he says, while the Apostle Paul looks for many opportunities for direct evangelism, the typical Christian in Colossae or in Newcastle, those are my words, not his, in Newcastle, is to look for responsive opportunities for evangelism. We need to listen and look for opportunities that present themselves week by week. Most of us do not get moments handed to us on a plate. A few years ago, there was a student um, at our partner church in Jesmond. She arrived home from university, and her housemates had heard about um, Christianity Explored taster sessions, and and, and I need to say, not from her. They'd heard about these um, Christianity Explored taster sessions with a free Chinese meal that take place uh, at Jesmond Parish Church. Uh, in around February time. And she arrived home from class to her her housemates collectively, all of them, not Christians, saying, can we come to that Christianity Explored thing with the Chinese meal? She was bowled over, but, but that's not how evangelistic opportunities come to most of us, not me anyway. But yet most of us, and I'm putting myself wholly in this, will miss opportunities day by day. We need to look carefully for the natural opportunities, taking the opportunity with, oh, well, what did you get up to this weekend? And dropping in a little more about church than we might normally. And if the person asks more, well, keep going. Finding the people who are interested. And if they're not, we can hold off and wait and pray. But the key is, looking for those natural opportunities that we need to relate to people. If we've withdrawn, these opportunities will not come. So be interested in people. Be interested in them and not just seeking the opportunity, but interested in their lives. Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time and let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's imagery there, isn't it? Let your, let your conversation be seasoned with salt. Interesting and winsome. We are to win the person, not the argument. We are partners in prayer and we are partners in evangelism. So lastly then, verses 7 to 18, we are partners in relationship. I can't delve into this for time's sake, um, into all of it, sorry, for time's sake. Um, And I should say well done to Helen for reading it. That was a a stinker of a reading for her actually to do. Um, But do notice how personal these verses are. Paul is in close, close partnership with so many people that he lists here. Tychicus in verse 7, Onesimus in verse 9. He has sent them to Colossae to report on how he's doing. 
Aristarchus in verse 10, Mark, Epaphras in 12. In those verses, there are 11 individuals mentioned by name. Paul is not the kind of leader here who doesn't need to know the people who work below him. It doesn't matter what their names are as long as the job gets done. He's not the kind of leader who thinks, well, I can do this all on my own. No, he knows these people. He's worked closely with them, and they are a team. Too many churches that we could walk into are full of passive passengers. You've got one person, maybe like the bus driver, driving at the front, and everyone else simply sitting there. And thank God that is not our church here, because we are partners Notice here three things um, about these people that Paul, uh, Paul mentions. There's a real variety in the individuals. We've got Luke is mentioned, and he's the doctor that we learn about elsewhere in Scripture. He was the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And then there's Anisimus, who was a runaway slave. He had to run away. Uh, he, he ran away from his master, Philemon, And that's where we get the letter in the New Testament. But yet both of these characters, the academic, the wise and learned Luke, and the runaway slave Onesimus, both partners with Paul. And it might be the case that we feel like, well, well, my face doesn't fit here. But it's not true. This team that we are on is for Luke and it's for Onesimus and everyone in